Well, wasn't that exciting seeing our kids in and just seeing from the smallest to the biggest of them they speaking about this truth. And um it was just so encouraging. So I hope you were lifted up by that too. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet, you've heard the truth from the mouth mouths of babes. I pray that you would accept Jesus Christ into your life. Let's just quieten our hearts before the Lord as we come to his word this morning and see how it has relevance to us even today. Let's just pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open your word to us, your breathed out word. And Lord, as we open the pages of this book, may the words leap at us as your spirit does your work in us. Lord, as the old word says, quicken us for the task. Quicken us through your spirit. Make us alive. And then use us to your glory in this week, I pray. May we see the big picture of why you came and how we are part of that picture, I pray. Amen. I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 as we continue in our studies. Very exciting two little pictures we're going to look at today. Luke chapter 13 verses 18 to 21. Luke 13 verses 18 to 21. If you remember just leading up to this, Jesus had been in the temple and there was that religious leader and when Jesus healed the woman who was bent over, uh, she couldn't come up by herself um, She seemed to have had severe arthritis. Jesus healed her on that Sabbath day and the temple officials said to him, how dare you work on the Sabbath? And so this passage follows from that. There's always relevance. Jesus now speaks about what is the kingdom because the kingdom has just happened in front of this man and he didn't recognize it. So what is the kingdom? Verse 18. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again Jesus said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. I was very privileged uh, a while back to be in Paris and we went to the Louvre. Now that's the closest I get to art. Um, And there I saw this painting. Magnificent painting. And it's of Josephine, the wife of Napoleon. And if you look at it, you see all the intricate details painted by hand. Amazing painting. But when I looked at this painting, my eyes couldn't help to be drawn wider because this painting is part of a much, much bigger painting. A painting measuring 10 by 6 metres. And it's of the coronation of Napoleon. So we'll show you what that looks like. And if you look at the little scene I was looking at, you see there's a much bigger picture here. Now you might have thought it's about the crowning of Josephine because she was kind of in that position to be crowned. And Napoleon is kind of holding the crown over her head. In the original, they looked carefully at the way this had been painted and underneath what you see there, 
Napoleon was actually holding the crown above his own head. He was going to crown himself. And there she was to be reigning with him. But you see, that small part was part of a bigger part. And it's really, really important that we see that. Because then the whole thing makes sense. You might have heard the phrase already around you, Christianity is a dying religion. Anyone heard that? No? Oh, it's only two of us. Great. The rest of you should live life. Christianity is a dying religion. Just look at the statistics, they say. And when you do go and look at the statistics for New Zealand, you see that less and less people are now claiming to be Christian. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, is Christianity dying? If the stats are saying that, is Christianity dying? But I want to encourage you this morning that there's a bigger picture. Like Josephine, that is just a small part. Let's see what it looks like. You see, this religious leader had the same quandary here. He wasn't seeing the big picture of the kingdom being built. The kingdom had just grown by one more person when that woman was healed and when she came into the kingdom of God, when Jesus saved her and healed her. She had found freedom from her affliction. She had found rest for her soul in the kingdom. And the truth is taught to us this morning through this little passage. And as Jesus was teaching this religious leader that the kingdom of God is a growing kingdom. It grows one by one. Little by little. This one, then that one. Then a little group come to the Lord, maybe a few less later. But the kingdom grows. That's the big picture. And so Jesus paints us these two pictures. He says, so what is the kingdom of God like? And there are two pictures he uses. One of a mustard seed and one of yeast. Let's see what it looks like. First, the mustard seed growing into this tree. And Jesus is picturing for us the outward expansion of the kingdom of God. Kingdom pictures weren't new at all. Back in Daniel chapter 4, verse 20 to 22, we find this picture of Nebuchadnezzar and his reign. And the description there is of a massive tree growing. And that is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. Well, it's not a new picture. In Isaiah, and I want you to turn, sorry, in Ezekiel, I want you to turn there with me, please. Ezekiel chapter 17, you'll find that in the Old Testament. We're going to see this picture that Jesus actually refers to here in Luke. And this is what he's quoting. Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 to 24. Let's just have a look at this passage. It's very, very important. Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 to 24. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. Now who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to his nation Israel. And he wants to show them the bigger picture. Yes, they are in captivity or going to, uh, into captivity, but he says, I am going to take what is the, the biggest of cedar's lemon, le- of cedars, of the cedars in Lebanon, and I'm going to cut off from it a branch, the smallest little bit of it, but look what I will do with it. This is what he says, verse 22 again. I will take also of one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. 
I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I will plant it on a high and prominent mountain. You see what God is saying here? I'm going to take the weakest of this mighty tree, the topmost branch, the topmost tenderest little bit I'm going to take, and I'm going to plant it on a high mountain. Look what he says. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it. And it will bring forth boughs and, and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. What he's speaking about? His Messiah was going to come. And he was going to put him on the highest mountain in, Jerusalem, in Israel. What's that? Jesus was going to be crucified. He was going to come as a baby but be crucified in Jerusalem. And under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. He's speaking into the future already. I have done it, says the Lord. You see, that's the big picture. And now Jesus quotes those very words when he speaks about the kingdom, when he says about this mustard seed that will grow into a big tree. And in its branches, the birds of the air will come and roost. You see, these smallest of seeds would grow into mustard bush. Now, in Israel, that's the mustard bush. But they could grow much, much bigger. They could look like big trees. And Jesus says, the birds of the air will come. People from every tribe and nation will come and roost in its branches. Now, you might have heard a slightly different interpretation. There are some who say that the birds of the air that come and roost in its branches are the agents of Satan. Where do they get that from? Well, they, they get that from the parable of the sower, where the sower goes and he sows a seed, and what happens? Then the birds come and they pick away that seed. Well, yes, in that context, it is the agents of Satan. But in this context, it's something good. Jesus is saying, into the branches of the kingdom will come people from every tribe, from every nation, from every inclination, with any problem. Like this woman who came. Maybe like you this morning. There's place in the kingdom for you, too. And you don't have to be good enough to land in that kingdom. The Lord takes you as you are and He changes you into someone that will give glory to Him. You, too, can come and find rest in the branches of the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's a big picture. Now the world says the kingdom is dying. Just look at the church, they say. It's full of corruption. Can't be our church, is it? No. They say, look at the church, it's full of corruption. It's full of pedophiles. And don't they come out in the news? Look at the church, they're emptying out, they're becoming coffee shops might be happening in the West. But you know, when you look at the bigger picture, when you look at where Christians are under persecution, you see a completely different picture. You only need to go into China. And I'm not talking about mainstream Chinese churches. I'm talking about the home churches in China that meet in secret. Yes, still in China today. They meet under fear of persecution. Look how those churches are growing. You only need to go to Indonesia and hear how the church is growing, not by thousands, but by tens of thousands. You only need to go into Russia, into certain regions of Russia, 
and you will see the church is growing by thousands. Yes, they're meeting underground still today, but they are growing by thousands. And in the West, the church is dying. But all over the rest of the world, it is growing. You see, in a way, in the West, we've had our chance. You know, they are sending missionaries from Korea into the West. Where the gospel came from originally, from Germany, from Great Britain, they are sending Koreans back into those areas to take the gospel because Britain is dark. Europe is very dark when it comes to the gospel. And yet that's where it came from. God says there's a big picture here. And yes, he does warn us. And now I want you to turn with me to Matthew. New Testament. You were wondering where that was. Matthew chapter 24. Look at this very, very important picture that Jesus paints now of what is to come. Now he was speaking into his immediate future because after Jesus had spoken these words, remember, what's the picture here? He's on the way to Jerusalem. What was going to happen in Jerusalem? He was going to be killed there. He was going to be resurrected there. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he paints us a picture of what would happen immediately after his death and resurrection. And also into the future. What will still happen today and in the future. This is what he says. Matthew chapter 24 Verses 4 to 14. I'm going to read the whole passage. Jesus said to... Let's just go back to verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will all these things be? He's just been telling them about what's going to happen. The destruction of Jerusalem, etc. And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Are you listening to those words? They are very relevant today. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. You just have to switch on your television. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Now that happened AD 70 and onwards. And it's still happening now. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound... The love of many will grow cold. It happened then, it's happening now. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now we're looking into the future as well. And so God says, yes, the picture is grim. And Jesus predicts that many would still walk away from the faith. That many would grow cold in their faith. Then and today. The book of Revelation says that in the future, many in the church will still be killed. You only need to go and read in Revelation chapter 20. Those battles that happen there. Many believers are killed. It's bad news for us, but it's good news. Because it means the end is coming. 
And so, until Satan is finally crushed and thrown into hell, chapter 20, verse 10 of Revelation, that is the big picture that God paints. Yes, it's a grim picture, but it is a growing kingdom right throughout. The kingdom is growing every hour of every day. Somewhere on this earth, people are being saved. And there are many still to hear the gospel. And that's where you and I come in. And there are many who still will be saved and will be added to the kingdom by the Lord of the gospel that we proclaim. But it is the growing kingdom. That's the end of the story. You need to know that. Because when you look around you, you could get discouraged. When you look around and you see all your friends walking away from the faith, walking away from attending church and from being with other believers, you can still be encouraged. It is a growing kingdom. I don't know if you're one of those people who when you get a new novel, you turn to the last page to see kind of how it ends and then you start reading. Spoil sports. Well, if you want to see the end of the picture, you can look now, right? Go to our chapter, chapter 13 and verse 29. Here's a little bit of the end picture. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. God will gather His own from the four corners of the earth across time. The kingdom is growing. It's a big picture. Jesus said, Matthew 16 verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. Amen? You excited by that? Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of even hell will not prevail against it. You see, the church is not defeated. doesn't matter what the world says, the church is not defeated. It is triumphant. And we're not being ostriches putting our head in the sand. The church, globally, is triumphant. And yes, we see battles taking place. And yes, we hear of people dying of persecution in countries like Nigeria and Egypt. You just turn on your news. And yes, we see church splits happening. And yes, we see churches closing, sadly. But as long as the church, here's the secret to survival in this world, as long as the church puts God first, as long as we preach the word faithfully, as long as we care for each other, and as long as we reach out into the community, this church will continue to grow. God will see that His Word goes out from this place. The Lord will remain faithful. And unfortunately, many churches have closed their doors. Why? Because they've wandered away from the truth. They've wandered away from preaching God's Word. They've gone into entertainment of people. They've got into tolerating open sin among them. They've become faithless. They've become disobedient. They've become sidetracked into all kinds of religious experiences and not the core gospel of obedience to God's Word. And God has closed those doors. Not them. And there might be thousands of people in the church, but the doors are closed from God's perspective. Do you hear that? So when you look around, and I'm not saying go from here and find another church, but when you look around and find a church to attend, don't necessarily go where there are thousands. Hear what is happening. See what is happening. Evaluate for yourself. 
Is the gospel being proclaimed? Otherwise, the doors are closed from God's perspective. They might be doing church, but there is no church. And yes, it might just happen, and it did in Christchurch, where whole buildings topple over because of an earthquake. And people killed because of earthquakes and disasters that happen all over the world. And people might be destroyed. Christians might die. Buildings might fall over. But God has said from Ezekiel and Isaiah and other passages, He will preserve His remnant of the church in that place. And there might just be one, but that church will start to grow again. God is faithful, you see. It's a big picture. His kingdom is growing. And whatever men might do to try and stop his kingdom, God has guaranteed the triumph of his gospel kingdom. He's put that to you. I put that to you this morning. You need to be encouraged. His plan for his kingdom does not proceed by accident, but by design. God sent his son to this earth. Isn't that what we're celebrating now? To establish his kingdom on this earth into eternity. His kingdom will stand. So don't be discouraged when you look around you. When you struggle through your own walk with the Lord, don't be discouraged. His kingdom will stand victorious in the end. And if you are part of that universal body of believers, you will be among that number one day. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that. And so you can lift up your heads You can see the coming King and you can hear into the future. Hear with me. Hear the millions and millions and millions of voices sing. Of the heavenly beings, of the church, of the past, the present and the future, raising up their voices in praise to our victorious King. His kingdom will stand. It's an outward expansion. And that's all from this little passage. Jesus paints a second picture here. And that is of leaven, which is put into flour. And then an inward expansion happens. Do you see what he's doing? There's an outward expansion, but it also, his kingdom expands inside of us as well. And it takes us up completely. You see, this picture for yeast or leaven in this metaphor, again, is incorrectly used sometimes by people. Because they misinterpret scripture. And so what do they say? Well, whenever you hear there's yeast or leaven, it's always about sin. No, it's not. Here's an example. Here it is a picture of something positive. It's God's kingdom growing inside of us. That doesn't sound negative to me. So we need to be using the pictures we get in their context. It's very, very important. Otherwise we get sidetracked into the incorrect use. And I'm saying that deliberately because I know there are some here who say that. So it's a positive thing. Now look at what Jesus does. He uses extremes. Remember that Ezekiel passage? God used extremes there. He said, I will take the highest tree that there is in Lebanon, one of the biggest cedars, and I will take the smallest, itty-bitty little bit of it that's the weakest. You see the extremes? And I will grow that into something which is eternal. Now Jesus uses the same type of teaching technique. He says, you just put a little pinch of yeast into a massive amount of flour. And the amounts he uses are is like, in our comparisons today, 22 kilos of flour. A little pinch into a massive amount of flour. You see, he's doing extremes. 
Why? He's trying to emphasize something. This little bit of yeast will grow and take up the whole batch of flour when it's, when it's made into um, this bread. You see, the, the whole idea here is of permeation and expansion. This little bit of yeast will permeate and expand into the whole. You see, when God's rain comes into human hearts from outside of us, because the Holy Spirit implants new life in us, that new life starts to grow. And that kingdom starts to grow inside of us. And it exerts a wholesome, a penetrating and a transforming influence on the heart, doesn't it? Think where you were when you first became a believer. I hope you can say that you've seen growth in your life. You see, it's the yeast of God's kingdom that's working inside of you too. And it's growing in you. And it leads men towards the goal of perfection. Isn't that what Paul later promises to? God will make us perfect in Jesus Christ. In every single facet of our lives. And so you can take courage. There might be parts of your life that are not where they should be. Well, let God's word continue to grow in you. Let the kingdom continue to expand in your life. And one day you will be perfect. That is the promise from God's word. We will be like Jesus Christ. Every single facet of you will be holy. God's kingdom will have been built in you too. You see what Jesus is saying? It's an inner and outer expansion. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Behold, old things pass away and all things become new. Praise the Lord once again. He's working in you and He's working in me and especially in me. And as we change, we see our outward lives affecting those around us. You see, as we do life as being changed Christians, as the kingdom being built in us Christians, as we do life and as we interact with our society, even though we are a small number of believers in our society today, we penetrate society for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how his kingdom is built? And society's moral texture is affected. And when we look at, oh, we try to fight against this and that and this because the politicians have decided this and that is this is good for people and it isn't and we know it's not by God's word. We might lose those battles, but when we live out our daily lives before the Lord, we are winning ground. Society is being affected for the Lord. We can be a powerful influence if we have God-energized lives. I want to stop here a little bit. Who of you have got cell phones, the new ones? New ones? The old ones are much better actually. You couldn't do all the fancy things, but they kept their charge for about a week. Now with the smartphones, I can do everything, but I can, the battery hardly lasts. I've got to keep plugging in everywhere. You see, we're a bit like that in our Christian lives. We're so busy, and we get busy and busy and busy. I don't know about you, but this year seems to be much busier than last year. And I keep running out of steam quicker. Well, spiritually, that's going to happen to us too. We need to keep being recharged. Daily. More than once a day if you can. Because otherwise, how are we going to live spirit-invigorated or spirit-energized lives for the Lord? How are we going to affect our society? You see, as believers, we should be quietly and humbly. You don't have to make a song and dance about it. We are to quietly and humbly 
be at work in all aspects, in all disciplines of society. So whether I'm involved in politics, and we'll pray for you if you are, or whether you're involved in education, enjoy your holidays, or whether you're involved in sports, or music, or medicine, or the travel agencies, you are to do everything you do to permeate the society around you, quietly, humbly. That's what Jesus said. And so Les runs a coffee shop, right? Quietly and humbly, you can permeate society. And various of us do various jobs here. If you work at the hospital, you can quietly and humbly permeate society for the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom is being built. Do you see it? It's pervasive and the kingdom is expanded. And God has promised that He will bring the change. God has promised that He will do the work through you. God has promised that He will change you and I the church, as we go about doing that work for him. He's promised that. We've got Old and New Testament examples. One of the New Testament ones is in Acts, chapter 17, verse 6. Paul and Silas, they went out proclaiming the gospel. And what happened? They were accused of, quote, turning the world upside down. I wish we could have that here. I wish we could be such an influence in Wanganui that we are accused of turning Wanganui upside down, never mind New Zealand. William Wilberforce, look what happened to him. He was a man who plodded away over his range of 43 years. Now that's a long time to be about the work of the Lord and to hardly see any results. And he saw the kingdom expanding. He saw slavery abolished. And many Christians put away their slaves and repent of what they had done, and the kingdom was being built. We can be agents for change, and God will use us as that. And so those are the two pictures Jesus paints. I want to bring three points of application to you this morning under so what. I've heard this now, so what. How does that apply? First one is this. Pray for a big view of God's kingdom. You might have lost your big view of God's kingdom. You see, what started off in the Old Testament as one man, Noah, he was already about God's kingdom. He just didn't know it. Abraham was busy about God's kingdom when he showed faith. Moses was about building the kingdom because of his obedience to the Lord. And then here where Jesus is with a couple of his disciples around him, at the end of his ministry period, remember he's going to Jerusalem to be killed, right? And what did he have to show for all his work? A few disciples, some believers. That spread out into a worldwide faith over the centuries, hasn't it? And the universal church has gone through dips and dives in history. It's gone through dips and highs, sorry, in history. And it will still go through dips and highs in history. But in the end, when Jesus comes again, his kingdom will stretch, in the words of the old hymn, from shore to shore. His kingdom will stretch from shore to shore. It will be complete now. This has also been misinterpreted. Some people say that that means that by the time Jesus comes, the whole earth will be converted. Well, it's a long time coming then, because when I look around me, I don't see that. I see it getting more evil. That's what I believe Scripture is saying. Although the kingdom's expanding, the world is getting more evil. 
No, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved when, by the time the Lord Jesus comes. It means all those that he will save will be saved. Yes. All those that he wants to draw to himself will have been drawn to himself and then the end will come. What does that mean to you and I? It means that not one who is to be part of God's kingdom will be left out. I take such great encouragement from that. I will not be left out. My friend Elizabeth, who became a believer three months ago, she's dying on a deathbed. She will not be left out. They had a Maori funeral here in the week. Chaos here. It was grand. The man who was buried came to the Lord three days before he died. He will not be left out of the kingdom. You see, we take encouragement from that because God will make sure all those over the whole of human existence from Adam, we're going to see Adam. Did you realize that? Yeah, he stuffed it for the rest of us, but God forgave him. He's going to be in heaven. And we're going to see him. He's the start of the kingdom. Till the last man saved, or woman, before the Lord comes again, they will all be in the kingdom over the whole of human existence. Because God will not leave one out. All those who are meant to be saved will be saved. Hallelujah, I say to that. And so, if that is your picture of the kingdom, then let's become a place of refuge. Both in this church, as we accept people in, anyone who comes through these doors, we are to love them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to be a place where the birds of the air can come and find roost. And in your home and in your life, is your life a place where the birds of the air can come and roost? Or do people look at you and go, frozen, chosen, that one. You see, do you attract others to the Lord Jesus Christ by the way you live out the love of Jesus Christ? Do you become a place where the birds can come and roost as well and find the good news of the gospel? Secondly, we have to pray for strength to endure. You see, when we look at these negative stats, I want to put it to you in a slightly different way. Glass half empty, glass full, right? Glass half empty, stats are dropping. Sad. Christians. Glass half full approach is this. Well, at least they're less nominal Christians than in the past. Why do I say that? In this country of little New Zealand, which is a fantastic place to stay, life is really easy. And in this country, if you do not want to be a Christian, if you do not want to live the life of a Christian, you don't have to. Because you won't stick out, you'll actually be part of the norm. It would be. It's terrible. Alright? So, nominalism is falling. You see, because in this country, we've got to decide to be a Christian. I want to live the life of a believer. I want to be different. Because if I'm not, I'll just merge in with society. And I believe the stats are showing that. Less and less people are saying, I want to be a Christian. Because they've decided to opt into the easy life. And they're walking away from Christianity. And the Bible teaches that those who walk away were never true believers in the first place. Because those who have been given to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will never let go. He's promised that over and over in Scripture. 
And so with the stats falling, people are walking away. And it's becoming clearer who is a Christian and who isn't a Christian. But you know, we need to pray that the Lord will give us strength to endure because will we too become one of those who walk away? Because society is saying, come, just join us. It's easier here. You don't have to fight every day to live a pure life. You don't have to stand out so much against the rest. You can be one of us. Are you going to be one who is going to walk away? You see, the bad news is things are going to get harder for us in New Zealand. And I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a doom prophet in that. It's going to get harder. It's already getting harder. You just need to look at what's happening in the politics. More and more things which are good are being said aren't good. And they're being made to look bad. And who is coming under that? Christians are being affected, right? I'll take the anti-smacking. I'm not starting a whole thing here. There's one. There's very other, various other ones that have come in. It's going to get harder for us as believers. And society is going to give us fewer and fewer concessions. And they're going to tolerate believers less and less because they see us as the minority and the rest of society as the majority. So it's going to get harder. You can only do the maths. But you know, in the face of that, we whose consciences are bound to Jesus Christ and His Word need to stand. We need to have endurance. We need to follow our crucified Messiah. We are to expect difficulty. He's warned us, didn't He? Jesus said, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. We've been warned. So you and I need to pray for endurance. We need to pray that we would continue to stand and have a clear testimony. You see what happened to Jesus just a little while later in where we are now in the passage. In a few hours, the world would show Jesus the full extent of their hatred even while He was showing them the full extent of His love, we need to have the same attitude. Love the world because they are lost and Jesus loves them. So pray for endurance. And then thirdly, I want to ask you at this very special time of Christmas, reach out to one person this Christmas. I'm setting it low for you so we can all get over that. Reach out for one person this Christmas. One. You see, the kingdom grows how? One by one. And if you can speak to one person and they get saved, the kingdom has expanded by one more. You don't have to save thousands. I pray that you would. But you don't have to pray to save thousands. The Lord will save whom the Lord will save. But we need to reach out one by one. And so I want you to do something this Christmas. Pray specifically, Lord, this Christmas, Show me the one person you want me to reach out to. And I can promise you now, the Lord will answer that prayer. Why would He not? Does He want to see the kingdom expanded? But you see, we are too scared to pray that prayer because the Lord might answer it. And then I'm going to have to speak about my faith. And I don't know what to say and I'm going to be scared. Think of new and imaginative ways in which we can reach out to others. Go and play golf. Not on Sundays when you're supposed to be here. Right? But go and play golf. Take a non-Christian with you. Don't take your usual Christian buddies. Take a non-Christian and while you're playing golf, 
Find those connections in your conversation, because I'm sure even men talk on the golf course. Find those connections and bring the connection into the gospel message. They'll start talking about themselves some stage. You wait for it. And then don't Bible bash them. Speak to them. Find out where they are and then connect with them. Go and take people to go fishing. Go and take them out camping. The whole summer holidays is coming. But connect with people. When you're out camping in your tents, connect with people on the campgrounds. Invite them over to your place to come and sit around your campfire if you still make one of those or the gas fire if you want to make one of those. Sit around the fire. Speak about Jesus Christ. Find ways to reach out and speak about the kingdom. But always have the same message. Don't go off onto other tangents. It's the gospel message which saves people. Nothing else. Doesn't matter what else you say, the gospel message will save. So speak the gospel message. God built his kingdom. This is a verse you'll hear now at Christmas as I end. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To establish his kingdom. To make it happen. And when Jesus came to this earth, he established his kingdom on earth. And it's, is this a kingdom which will decline and fall according to the stats? Is that what Jesus came to this earth for? A declining kingdom? I don't think so. In, emphatically, no, he didn't. He came to build his church. And this is the promise from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7. This is what God himself says. Are you listening? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, what? To establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then, don't miss the last bit, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He speaks from eternity past into eternity future. The zeal of Almighty God will do this. So will his kingdom succeed? Yes, it will. Are you part of that kingdom this morning? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you that in your word we get these pictures of victory. And that if we belong to you, we know what the outcome is going to be. Lord, thank you that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth. And yes, he came in the helpless form of a baby, but you took that little bent, that, that little helpless little sapling twig, and you built a mighty kingdom. And you will still continue to build that kingdom until that same mighty, that same little twig who, who comes back as the victorious Savior appears. And then your kingdom will be complete. Lord, thank you for the big picture. And Lord, help us to hold up our heads when we get weak, when we struggle with our own faith, when we look around us and we see our friends walking away. Lord, help us to hold on to you, to hold on to this beautiful picture of you at work. May we live victorious and bright shining lives for the sake of Jesus Christ and one more person who can come into the kingdom. Use us, we pray.
Amen.